Harge, the great hardball Harge, hanging with Harge every weekday from 11 to noon right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. And every weekday from 12 to 1 on Texas Sports Unfiltered, you get Trey, you get BK. It is the award-winning midday with Trey and BK right here live on Texas Sports Unfiltered and on the Texas Sports Unfiltered app. What on earth is happening to you? Will you please stop? I'm asking all of you. I don't know what you're doing on your end. I can't figure it out on StreamYard. It infected my Zoom the other day when I was conducting what was supposed to be a professional interview with Paul Reiser of 90s TV fame. And I, I don't know what to do here. I'm about to have to get rid of my computer to try something different, but I don't even think it's on my end. I think it's on you guys' end. Did you have the balloons during the Zoom interview? Yes. Or did you, do you have whatever the hell? The Zoom too. I don't know what to do here. There's a bug <laughs> on my computer or something. What just happened? You had like some strobe lights a second ago. I'd never seen that before. I've seen the balloons. We've all seen the balloons like a hundred times, but we just... Okay, see, that's clearly you. Come on, man. Confetti. Oh, black lights. You're doing something here. I actually figured it out. I think it's I think Brock or somebody... I just figured it out. Brock or somebody got me. Ooh, hearts. <laughs> Dude, what? This is you. Stop blaming me. Stop blaming Brock. Stop blaming Bucky or Harge. It's all you. See? I, my hands are up. I'm doing nothing right now. This is all you, and it has been the whole time. Not the whole time, but it is now. I just figured out how to do it. Well, now I kind of want to know how to do it. Hold on. <laughs> what do I hit? What are you doing? Uh, I, so I'm doing mine through FaceTime. I don't know if you on your PC have the camera option to do this uh, i don't Maybe have one or the other this in, this entire way the rain's not fun enough is there any permanent, are there any permanent filters or it's all just like little scenes like that yeah it's there's one of eight things that i can do here it's this one <laughs> balloons thumbs down Ooh, that fits me well Ooh. especially today uh lasers that's cool. <laughs> Confetti, which is pretty cool. Thumbs up, not that cool. Hearts. Nice. Or rain. As our guy Gringo Horn says, that's what you get with an award-winning show. Which one do you think is the best? Man, I like the balloons a lot. I've gotten so used to those showing up at least once a day. And you're telling me, I don't believe you at this point, but you're telling me you haven't been doing that yourself. There's been some sort of automatic switch on your computer that is uh, triggering those balloons at the start and end of every single one of our broadcasts. So whenever I enter a studio, uh -huh. this is how this is how the setup, because I literally just looked it up. I'm like, what the fuck? How do I stop this? Like <laughs> clearly it's showing up on Zoom last week is has to be on my end. And so it just told me to go to FaceTime and there's a setting within FaceTime that I can mess with it. So I just found it and I don't know. I, I'm kind of with you. I actually kind of, I don't know, the balloons, the fireworks. Keep these going. The laser light show. I just think because the because of the darkness, I either have to go with the confetti or the balloons. Mm. Yeah, the laser light show is kind of cool, but... It does get dark on camera for a while. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what a start to a Monday show. We are rolling here. Hit us up on the YouTube chat line. Hit us up on the Coda text line, 512-222-9328. Plenty of sports conversation over the next hour. We'll talk a lot of Texas and BYU. We'll talk some Cowboys. We'll talk some Texans. We will talk some World Series. Of course, Game 3 of the World Series is tonight in Arizona. Plenty to get into. But we open up with some Texas Longhorn football. Texas picks up the win, and they cover against BYU on Saturday. 35-6, to the final score in Malik Murphy's first start as the quarterback at the University of Texas. There was some good. There was some bad. There was some ugly. Trey, you can take this thing wherever you want to take it, my friend. Let's start with the good. 
the good being this defense really getting its act together and having a complete performance against a BYU offense that isn't all that great. But hey, you have to start somewhere. And considering how much we'll see a, uh, a step up in terms of offensive performance next week against Kansas State, it's good to get back on track this week. So kudos to guys at all three levels. I think that there was better communication between the uh, the front two levels and the back end with the secondary Better safety play, better play out of the cornerbacks. The linebackers were greatly improved. Great bounce back game from Jalen Ford after a couple of tough ones. And I thought the defensive line did a really good job too. I think that we also got great special teams play on Saturday. I don't know if you called this uh, with Bucky during the week last week or in the pregame show, but you apparently called Xavier Worthy returning a punt for a touchdown. You did not? Bucky did. Oh, Bucky did. Okay, kudos to Buck on that one. I actually called it in the stands right before it was going to happen also because the there was wind at the BYU punter's back. I'm like, I bet he outkicks his coverage here, and Xavier Worthy does what he's capable of, and that's when he's given space, he makes the most of it. And sure enough, he did to make things a little bit easier for Texas and putting those first seven points on the board. I thought that for his first game, Malik Murphy... He did an adequate job. He wasn't great. He had some nice throws. He also had some really bad moments, too. Uh, the worst of which I don't even think was totally his fault. Like on the interception, obviously you get the early snap that kind of goes over his head. Does a good job of grabbing the ball. And then he's facing immediate pressure. And rather than than eat it, like you see a veteran quarterback often do and living to, uh, learning to live another day, um, he tries to make the most out of uh, something that wasn't there, and it turns into an easy interception for BYU. And then his fumble was also uh, an unfortunate product of a couple of guys missing their blocks, and they had what looked like it could have been a really nice play set up. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Brooks, the opportunities that he had, he looked good. C.J. Baxter, same goes for him, and the wide receivers to varying degrees as well. And now the not so good. I am coming to the unfortunate conclusion that Steve Sarkeesian is an average head coach serving as an offensive coordinator for a couple of reasons. One, he is not quick enough to see the obvious and make the necessary adjustment. And two, he seems pretty hard-headed about certain things that are obvious to everybody that he needs to change, but he's unwilling to change them because he has a point to prove. With the first point, what did we talk about all last week, BK? Balance is relative in football and in life. Balance on offense doesn't mean you need to run the ball 50% of the time and pass it 50% of the time. It's all about what you're working with, what the pieces are at your disposal. Whatever that balance has been for Texas going into last weekend's game, it probably needed to shift ever so slightly to running the football a little bit more. But what do we see this Texas offense do the first 10 plays of the game. And I realize you could needle me and say, actually, technically it was eight because that pass to Savion Red in the flats, it was a backward lateral, so that counts as a run. They threw it nine of the first 10 plays in this game. Yep. That was completely unnecessary. And honestly, they're kind of fortunate that Xavier Worthy had that punt return to make things much easier for them. Now, the other element of this is something that we have all been griping about for a long time now. The red zone offense, <laughs> and maybe even worse than that, the offense inside the opponent's five-yard line. Yeah. And we have two more really ugly examples against a pretty shitty defense. I mean, we laid the numbers out last week. BYU is bad on defense. Maybe a little bit better against the run, but really bad against both the run and the pass. And Texas got, gets inside the five-yard line twice and walks away with zero points thanks to two failed third-down conversions and then two failed fourth-down conversions, too. Yeah, the red zone offense. I mean, you can't put that on Malik Murphy, right? Because that's been yeah. an issue for this team all season long. And to me, that's just it is what it is at this point, which sucks. I mean, this offense has scored 30 or more in every single game this season. That's pretty good. You'll take that. But 
you feel like it could be 40 or more if they could just write their red zone wrongs. And we're now eight games into the year, heading into the final month of the year, and those issues still haven't been corrected. So it is mind-boggling with all of the talent on this offense and with how good this offensive line is supposed to be that this team just can't punch it in from inside the red area. And you're right. It's like the closer Texas gets to the goal line, the worse the offense is, which is amazing. You know, one of the red zone touchdowns that Texas did have was a situation where Texas had first and goal from the 10, and then Gunnar Helm committed a false start. And normally you're like, shit, that sucks. Now we got first and goal for the 15. Well, Texas actually scored on the next play. It's like we need Gunnar Helm in there to commit like three false starts to move us out of the red zone so we can actually score on offense. I mean, it's amazing. Two of five. This offense now ranks 120th in the country in terms of red zone touchdown percentage. And they did a couple of things right against Houston. They scored touchdowns on their first two trips into the red area. But as that game progressed, just like everything else, it kind of fell apart for Texas. And obviously in this game, once again, a regression to the norm, which unfortunately has been just awful red zone offense. So, yeah, I mean, you get away with that stuff against BYU. You get away with that stuff when your defense and special teams are playing as good as they did. And look, we asked for those units to step up, right? Anytime you're starting quarterbacks out, you need your defense and your special teams to pick up some of the slack. They did that. But, man, it's just annoying to think what this offense could be if they could figure out their red zone woes. And at this point, I can't just be like, ah, yeah, they're for sure going to figure it out. It just takes time. Now it's like, nah, this is uh, what I expect. This is just who this offense is. And they've got to find a way to win games despite not being able to score in the red area. And one other positive that I want to attribute to the defense, they did a great job of forcing turnovers and giving the Texas offense some easy fields. And if you look at the final numbers and drive charts and things like that, BK, the 35 number, it's a little bit deceptive. You would assume that the offense was pretty good if they're scoring 35 points. So we've already talked about the special teams touchdown. So that there are five touchdowns total. Three of the other four touchdowns involved drives where the Texas offense got it in the BYU end. Yeah, a few of those were 25 or inside that. So there was one drive where I believe they went 75 yards. I think it was after a BYU field goal. And that was a nice drive where, not shockingly, they ran the ball more than they threw, even though it may have actually ended with a throwing touchdown. That's fine. It's knowing how to get down there to begin with. So they showed this, the common sense there. And then there was one other drive where they, they took it – from their end and had a chance to score points. But unfortunately that was uh, one of those drives that ended inside the BYU five yard line on a, uh, a fourth and couldn't quite get in. Yeah. If the offense was crisp or anything close to crisp, Texas scores 49. Yeah. 50 plus. I mean, like we're not going to complain about 35 to six. That's an impressive win against anybody, but to do that against a five and two team with a backup quarterback. Okay. You sign up for that, but uh, yeah, it's impossible to not think about the future and the fact that Texas has some tougher games on its schedule and be a little bit worried that, okay, this offense isn't going to cut it. And yeah, I mean, you said it. Texas had a drive start on the BYU eight-yard line. They had a drive start at the BYU 26, just outside the 25, the 26, and they had one start at the 39. They scored touchdowns on all of those, but they also didn't score on a drive that started at the BYU 40, and they didn't score on another drive that started at the Texas 49. So, I mean, the average starting field position for Texas was amazing because of the defense and because of the special teams. Like, that's – you talk about trying to make life easy on a young quarterback. The defense and special teams did their part yeah. in that at all. But the Texas offense, a lot of it's on Sark. Some of it's on the offensive line. Some of it's on Malik Murphy himself. They just – they didn't make life easy on themselves in this game. So – They've got to, uh, I mean, it's just, ah, we, we should be sitting here talking about the most complete performance of the year for Texas, but because the offense still can't score in the red zone, uh, we're still talking about some serious, serious issues that worry me. I won't speak for everybody else, but they worry me when you've got a really, really solid and fundamentally sound Kansas State team coming to town. And while I'm not completely faulting Malik Murphy for his two turnovers, because I think there is credence to the fact that there were other negative things happen uh, happening that weren't Malik Murphy's fault that, that helped uh, contribute to him ultimately turning the football over. There were also four to six throws that he had 
into covers that against a better defense, a couple of those might be turnovers when it's all said and done too. And why does that matter? Well, it matters because two of your next three games are against pretty good defensive teams. Kansas state has gotten its act together defensively as well as being much better on offense with that quarterback rotation. Although Avery Johnson wasn't even really that much of a factor in last weekend's beat down over U of H and then in a couple of weeks, as much as I like to disrespect that Iowa State offense, because I still don't believe they're that good, this Iowa State defense is what we've come to expect out of Mount, Matt Campbell's crew over the years. And that being a game in Ames, could be at night, could be really cold. You never know what to expect, especially if you're getting an uneven performance like this out of your offense, who isn't capitalizing when they get the ball deep in the opponent's territory. That yeah. is a recipe for an upset, unfortunately. Well, let's and hear so, from look. Texas is a better football team this year than they were last year. I think that uh, we can all agree on that, that things are headed in the right direction. But we also need to see more improvements out of the head coach and making sure that he is putting this team in the best possible uh, uh, position to succeed regardless of the opponent. It was a great win in Tuscaloosa earlier this year, a high point for this program, truly, maybe the biggest high point since uh, Texas went to the national championship game back in early 2010. And we've seen some other positive moments throughout the year too. But unfortunately, the last three weeks have reminded us that this program probably still has a ways to go before they are a legitimate national championship contender. I will say much more so the Oklahoma and Houston games than what happened against BYU because we are talking about a 30-point victory against a team that was 5-2. and two. Look, you're you're right. I'm I'm probably going a little bit over the edge there, but at the same time, when I watch the head coach who has to know what he needs to be doing to set his offense up to succeed, to do the polar opposite, what, to try and get his young quarterback more comfortable or to try and prove a point to people that he is a guy who's going to throw the ball regardless of who's back there because he has that much faith in his quarterback. No, you aren't understanding the best way forward based on the pieces that you have or at least he made that adjustment at some point during the game, but to throw the ball nine of the first 10 times of the game is completely inexcusable to me, as is this team continuing to struggle in the red zone while still trying to do a lot of the same things in the pro- in that process too. That is, roll defensive linemen out there on first down and have your running back follow one of those guys. I know Bucky harps on this, and I'm in complete agreement with him on this. Like That was a cute gimmick that worked against Wyoming or whoever it was, or B- Baylor, I forget who it was exactly. Like, that is not working. Try something different on first down to maybe make things easier on yourself where you're not faced with that high-pressure situation on third and or fourth down where it's one more example of this team failing inside their opponent's five. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, even when Sark tries different stuff because he wasn't as stubborn in the red area as he was against Oklahoma, it's just not working right now. But I'm with you. They got to mix it up, maybe spread it to run. That's something we've all been asking for a little bit more. There are ways, the passing plays that you do have, maybe, you know, a slant route, like throw something into the end zone versus throwing it behind the line of scrimmage and hoping somebody can, like a wide receiver who's not very good at blocking, can block. Like maybe there are other things that Texas needs to try to make it work. So Sark hasn't been as stubborn, but the results are still the same. So you still have every right to be mad at the coach for not being able to scheme up some plays to get into the end zone. And I'm glad you said that too, about throwing the ball into the end zone, like throw the ball into the end zone. Like, that is another constant. Like, we can talk about how we put Byron Murphy and Devondre Sweat back there and it's not working, but how many of those pass plays inside the five were on the wrong side of the goal line? Including the fourth down play where JT Sanders, it looked like a well-designed play, but it was a nice play by the BYU player. He's in the end zone there. It doesn't matter if that cornerback is making a nice play to get off the block and make that tackle. Yep. I'm with you, man. And you can't just say, ah, oh, well, he had a backup quarterback in the game. That's why. No, nah, it was the same play calling when Quinn Ewers was yeah. on the field for the first seven games. So, hey, Texas is 7-1. and one. It's the best record they've had since 2009. Very much in the thick of things in the Big 12 race as we uh, flip to the last month of the regular season. And Texas has won 10 in a row against unranked teams. Those are the steps that I like to see. Uh, I don't know if this team, I don't think this team is Georgia or Michigan level right now, but they are at least beating the teams that they are supposed to beat, which has been a huge problem for this program for the last decade and a half. So a lot of tangible things you can point to to feel good about uh, what's going on right now, even though it's not as aesthetically pleasing as I think uh, we would like at times. 
Thanks to everybody for weighing in on the CODA text line, also the YouTube comments line. That includes our friend Jason. Jason asks, guys, how would you rank the four remaining opponents for Texas? How would you rank the four remaining opponents for Texas? I probably go in ter- in, uh, in order of one to four, so the most difficult to least difficult. Kansas State, Iowa State, TCU, Texas Tech. Okay, I'm a little different. I think the hardest game is this weekend, and it just gradually gets easier for Texas. Not to say any of this is going to be easy, but I go okay. the second hardest opponent. Yeah, just because they've owned us. Like that, that's that's really what it is. Like Iowa State's probably better than TCU right now, uh, but it, like even when Texas is good and TCU is not so good, it feels like they've had our number in recent years. Sure. So, um, yeah, I, I think this Saturday though, without question, even though the game is in Austin is the hardest game that the Longhorns have left. K-State, they're ranked. I mean, that that I guess makes it pretty obvious. They're the only ranked team that Texas has remaining on its schedule. K-State's playing some damn good football. The good news is Texas has beaten K-State six years in a row. The bad news is all the teams are different, and none of what happened in the last six years really matter. I guess you could say, well, why does what you said about TCU make sense, BK? My response to that would be, shut up. <laughs> I use points to bolster my arguments, okay? I don't use those same points to take away from my arguments. That's how it makes sense, all right? But, uh, yeah, like, it's 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 fun, man. I mean, there's there's a five-way tie for first place in the Big 12 right now. And, by the way, Kansas, who's the third highest-ranked team in the Big 12, is not a part of that. And they, God, thanks, Kansas. Good win on Saturday. Um, but that's, that's where we're at right now, man. Like, I think everybody assumed leaving Dallas that we were for sure going to get Texas OU part two. And there's a chance we don't get either Texas or Oklahoma. Now I, I, I would still predict it. OU is going to be favored in all of its games. Texas is going to be favored in all of its games. So that's still the, the leader in the clubhouse, if you will, for what that title game matchup will be. But shit, five teams are four and one in the big 12 right now. There's a chance that it's two completely different teams playing at Jerry world in early December. This weekend's game with Kansas State is big for a lot of reasons. You know, it's funny because we go back to the preseason. A lot of people were looking at this game as one of the toughest games in the schedule, and I probably would have agreed with folks. I thought Kansas State was going to be really good again this year. And then they had that – they lost that game to Missouri on that last-second field goal of more than 60 yards. Well, it turns out Missouri is actually pretty good, at least based on the rankings. What, 13th in the country right now. Uh, about to play Georgia this weekend. And then they also lose a, a weird game on that Friday night before Texas OU to Oklahoma State. People not thinking much of Oklahoma State at the time. Well, Oklahoma State has really done a good job of steadying the ship too. Alan Bowman, the quarterback there, they've got a really good running back and uh, a defense that's shown some feistiness. And that was just also a weirdly bad game for Will Howard. Well, Chris Kleiman recognized that. And so he saw what he needed to out of the true freshman Avery Johnson, so he started a quarterback rotation that has worked really well for them since then. And because of that, this Kansas State game becomes tricky, and whichever team wins this game has a huge advantage on the end-of-season standings. If there happens to be a multi-way tie or a tie between these two teams in the standings with one of the two going to the Big 12 championship game, well, Texas loses this game all of a sudden, they need to finish a game up on Kansas State to have a shot to make it to Jerry World. Yep, you don't want to deal with tiebreakers. Texas wins out, they'll be there. They control their own destiny. If they lose any of these final four games, then uh, it gets a little tougher and you start having to root for other teams and against other teams. So this Saturday, we'll, we'll talk about this all later in the week, but this Saturday is going to be the best weekend of Big 12 football we've had in a long time. Yeah. Because you've got, Texas and K-State playing each other. Those are two 4-1 teams in the conference. You've got Bedlam, which is always fun. Well, OU and OSU are both 4-1 in the conference, so something's got to give there. And then Iowa State, the other 4-1 team, is playing Kansas, who's 3-2 and and is really, really good this year. So, like, three really high-quality matchups this coming Saturday in the Big 12 that's uh, going to give us a clearer view of exactly how the last few weeks are going to play out. But... Yeah, this thing, I mean, there's some bad teams in the Big 12. Really, the four new teams all suck. And then your mark, you sucks, even though it's Tech's year. Don't forget that. It's Tech's year every year. Uh, And Baylor sucks. But there's like a lot of decent teams in this league right now. And it is a little bit better than I think most of us were expecting when we started conference play like a month and change ago. 
I know for much of the year, we've all been clamoring for Texas OU part two at Jerry World. I want to see Oklahoma State beat OU one final oh, time before that yeah. rivalry goes away. I don't look, I don't really give a shit who Texas is playing in Arlington. I just want Texas yeah. playing in Arlington. Yeah. Like, yes, it'd be hilarious if your mark had to hand the trophy to one of Texas or OU. That'd be awesome. And you've said you think he's going to get COVID that week so he doesn't have to go to the game. Like, that would be a hilarious sight for fans of the two schools. But now, like, in my perfect world, OU loses out because I hate them. Yeah. I hate them. So, yeah, I hope they lose every game uh, from now until eternity. Forget just this year. I don't want them to ever win a football game. I want them to be so bad that they decide to fold their program. Is that going to happen? Of course it's not going to happen. But a man can dream, okay? A man can dream. So, yeah, screw the rematch. I just want Texas playing in that game. We'll see what happens. I think, once again, it's most likely to be Oklahoma if Texas gets there. But the way you should be thinking as a Texas fan, and I think the way most of us are thinking, is just freaking get there, man. The goal this year was not to win the Big 12 title over Oklahoma. The goal was to win the Big 12 title. That's that's what it is. That's what it is. So, you want to hear from Sark? Sure. Do I want to hear from Sark? <laughs> Uh, we'll go with the end of his opening statement from Saturday after the game. There was a lot of lot of positives, but but what I will say, we haven't played our best yet, and to me that's a little bit exciting uh, to know that our best is still out there, uh, that we can play better. Um, I think it goes without saying we're going to need to play better, um, but but I'm gonna I'm gonna be really proud of our guys on this one. Anytime you can come home and beat a five and two football team. You know, the, the way that we did and play the style of defense that we played, that, that's exciting. And again, the, the team versatility showed up. So there's Sark. So I will, I will counter him. I don't know if the defense can play better than they did on Saturday. Uh, 12 tackles for a loss, that's a season high. Three takeaways, ties a season high. BYU was three for 14 on third down. Texas didn't allow a touchdown. I know BYU had that 10-minute drive in the second quarter, which that's not ideal. But okay, you bowed up in the red zone and forced a field goal. By the way, Texas's red zone defense has been amazing this year, which is so ironic considering how bad the red zone offense has been, uh, been this year. But like defensively and special teams-wise, considering you scored a touchdown and had a few other good returns too, that's about as good as you can play. Offensively, no disagreement there. I mean, if you could get that defense and that special teams performance mixed with like the second half Kansas offense or the first half Baylor offense – or the Alabama offense, then you're talking about a team that actually does feel like a national title contender. We just we haven't seen that complete 60-minute performance in all three phases from Texas yet this year. Hopefully we do. I just I, I don't know if that's possible right now, especially with Quinn Ewers out for, you would think, at least one more week. Yeah, the question I would sarcastically ask Sark after that, opening statement in his post-game presser is how close was that to the best coaching job that you can possibly give to this team? Mm. Because if it's anywhere close to as good as you think you can do, then that's not good enough, Sark. Offensively? Yeah, offensively. Yeah, he's uh, great inside the 20s. Just uh, or inside the 20s, between the 20s. He's not so great once he gets inside the 20. We're normally complimentary of that opening script, too. I thought the opening script sucked. And again, uh, are you trying to prove a point? Are you trying to get your quarterback comfortable? Like, I, I wish somebody would ask him about that. Like, well, why so, did you think it was necessary to throw it nine of the first 10 times? Somebody did. Here's Sark from the post game on why they passed so much early against BYU. Sometimes the best way to, to get rid of any of the jitters a guy might have is let him go play. And, and not that I didn't think we could run it or not. Um, I, I just feel like, man, when I was a quarterback and, and if my first time I went out there, Give me some throws, you know, don't make me wait till it's third and nine. And now I have to throw it to try to make a play. And um, I, I thought there were some good throws in there. You know, I, I really, you know, the, the, I like the throw to Xavier kind of deep across the field. We didn't get the pass interference call, but it was a great read by him. You know, he, he found AD, um, you know, so th there were some things in there that, that I think were good for him. And it kind of got him playing football again. And you know, a week ago when he went in against Houston, he really only had the, you know, the two throws there for an entire quarter. And we can't play football just lining up thinking we're going to run it 
you know, 10 out of 12 plays the whole game. And it, we, we need balance. And so to get him out there and, and letting him go play, I thought was good for him. Um, and I thought was good for us in that, you know, there's going to be a lot of growth for him out of it, uh, as well as us as a team. Shitty belief, Sark. I'm sorry, because nobody was asking you to run it eight out of every 10 times. We certainly weren't asking you to throw it nine out of the first 10 times either. And by the way, you learned your lesson because on your most successful drives, you were running it more than you were throwing it. So, like, maybe you do harken back to your playing days and you wish you could have thrown it a little bit more. That helped you get more comfortable. All right, there's a balance somewhere in there or maybe it's a 50-50 split or 60-40 one way or the other. It's not nine out of 10 times. Yeah, that's garbage. Yeah, I didn't love that answer. Look, I get the ideology of trying to get your quarterback in rhythm, but you don't have to throw nine out of the first 10 plays to do something like that. And like you said, I mean, look, Texas's first two offensive drives of the game were punt and interception. The drive where they scored their first offensive touchdown of the game came after the BYU interception and the long return. Uh, you had six plays on that drive. You ran it four times, and that was the first time you got into the end zone. So... Uh, once again, I get the thought of trying to get your quarterback in rhythm. That's just Sark being too cute. He's too cute at the red zone, and that's Sark. Like, okay, what was BYU going to do defensively? They were going to load the box to try to stop the Texas run game. And Sark's like, well, I'll show them. I'm way more creative than them. I'm going to throw it nine of the first ten times. It's like, well, why? Why you do it? Like, I'd be mad. You'd be mad. The American people would be mad if Quinn Ewers threw it nine of the first ten times, right? Like, Jonathan Brooks is your best player. He's one of the best running backs in the country. Give him the ball. But to do it with a backup quarterback, it's asinine. Like, it's just dumb. It is just dumb. You don't have to do 9 out of 10 runs or 10 out of 12 runs. I would be upset about that either. You got to have a good balance. But, yeah, like to to make it sound like you're smart and we're dumb for thinking uh, you should run it a little bit more, come on. That's Herman-like. Don't don't do that, Sark. Don't throw it 9 of 10 times to open up the game with a backup quarterback. Like you said, if the worthy part return touchdown doesn't happen, and if the interception and the big run back don't happen, then Texas doesn't have that big lead, and more fans are like yelling at their TV wondering what the hell is going on right here. I know that Mark Twain famously once said there's three types of lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics, so I hate rolling statistics out to prove my point, but sometimes it's valuable. I were to tell you that Jonathan Brooks averaged six yards a carry in this game last Friday, but didn't finish with 100 yards, you would ask, what the hell happened? Was Texas down the entire game and they were forced to throw because they were having to come back from a large deficit? No. It's no. just because he got 16 carries in the game. He uh, he got to 98 yards total, which is 6.1 yards per carry, but he didn't quite get there because for some reason his coach thought it was a good idea to throw it five extra times. Yeah, I just didn't get it. Didn't get that, but hey, all's well that ends well. Texas got a win, and every game's different. So, you know, the game plan, you would think this Saturday will be different than what we just saw this past Saturday. Uh, but you need, like, you need Jonathan Brooks, man. He's your best player. You're going up against a better defense. I'd like to think Malik Murphy looks better. I think he obviously could look better because it's his second start. He's going to have another week of working with the ones in practice. He's going to be watching film, learning about what he did wrong. Hopefully the coaches talk to him about mechanics and, Hey, stop doing a Quinn Ewers impersonation. We don't need you throwing off your back foot all the time, dude. Uh, do something different there. Like, there's reason to believe Malik will be better, but also we know for a fact the defense Texas is playing this weekend is better. So use your best players. Jonathan Brooks is your best player on offense. Utilize him. Maybe somebody asked Sark about this either on Saturday or in today's earlier media availability. They were calling a fair number of plays where Malik was going to his left. And perhaps it's like a Colt McCoy situation where he's just comfortable throwing the ball with his body going in that direction. But for a lot of guys, that is a much tougher throw. And he wasn't on the money when he was throwing the balls in that direction. Now, they were close. And you could argue that in a couple of the instances, they were catchable balls, too. But that might be something that makes things a little bit more difficult for him and has him throwing off balance, to your point. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's uh, give some shout outs to some of our phenomenal sponsors. We'll start with a recorded spot. From our guy Tom McKay over at AV Consultations. Hi, this is Tom McKay with Audiovisual Consultations. Scientific data proves it. Size does matter. The bigger and wider your television is, the better. Football season is here, and the time is now to get your entire audio video experience tuned up and ready. 
new flat screens, projection video, Dolby True HD surround, all the goodies at great prices and followed up with great service. So call us at 255-8678. That's 255-8678 or on the web at avconsultations.com. Yes, indeed. Shout out to AV Consultations. Also, shout out to our friends at Great Blue Heron Furniture. They're a custom leather furniture company that's been around since 1991. They focus on heavy leathers, hides, and fabrics ranging from traditional Western to modern farmhouses. This stuff is beautiful. It's also incredibly high quality, too. So if you're looking for a couch or a recliner or some bar stools or a chair, whatever, something for your living room or your dining room, it's going to just make your home look so much better you got to go to greatblueheronfurniture.com. You're not going to be able to find more stylish, more comfortable, or more well-built furniture anywhere in the universe. Greatblueheronfurniture.com. Make sure you use the promo code HOOKEM, and you're going to get 15% off. Also, if you buy a piece from Great Blue Heron Furniture and you send me a picture showing that you did, I will send you a free last stand hat as well. Go check them out online. I'm telling you, greatblueheronfurniture.com. Come and a couple of uh, important announcements this Friday at Covert Bee Cave. Ricky Williams. Yes, that Ricky Williams will be with us. Come see us. Trey and I will be broadcasting live. Maybe Trey will ask Ricky about whether or not he can unblock him on Twitter. We'll see about that. But Ricky Williams will be there this Friday taking pictures, signing autographs, talking some Texas football, maybe talking some weed, maybe talking some astrology. You never know what you're going to get with Rick, but he will be out there. Bucky will be there, too. We'll be out there. Join us. A free lunch brought to you by Smokey Mos and Verde's Mexican Perea out at Covert Bee Cave this Friday. We hope to see you there. And also this Saturday, just announced, we'll be at Schultz Garden. Yes, that Schultz Garden, the legendary, iconic Schultz Garden on San Jacinto, the oldest bar in the state of Texas. We'll be doing our pregame show bright and early this Saturday for the 11 a.m. kick. Thank you, Big 12. Mm. We'll be out there from 8.30 to 10.30 on your way to the game. Come say what's up and be a part of the Texas Sports Unfiltered pre-game show. We got a lot going on, Trey. I'm a little bit bummed that this Saturday is my girls' volleyball team's end-of-year tournament. Now, we kept score for the very first time this last Saturday, BK, and went 4-0. So we're going to be playing starting at 8.30 on Saturday, which I'm excited about the tournament. I'm just bummed because I want to be out at Schultz because it is such a big deal that Texas Sports Unfiltered will be out there. It's also going to be chilly in the morning, too. So the best place to be within the Schultz Beer Garden grounds is going to be that indoor area where you and Bucky are going to be hanging out, too. So uh, y'all have a lot of fun doing so, and uh, the people will actually get to listen in person. That is exciting. I may be missing a big chunk of the game, too, for that matter, because I plan on my team making a championship run this Saturday. Come on, man. Your daughter's got plenty more volleyball games. This is for first place in the Big 12. She does. I'm recording the game. I'm going to avoid spoiler alerts. Going to get to watch the game fast-forwarding through commercials and the halftime and everything else once our game is over with. But, hey, I mean, they don't call me the Nick Saban of second and third grade girls volleyball in Cedar Park for nothing. You're right. They don't call you the Nick Saban of second and third grade volleyball girls in Cedar Park. They that do call be. me that. They don't call <laughs> me that for nothing, though. No, no. The, your sentence should have stopped right there. They just they don't call you that. I think that's what you meant right there. Yeah. Had a couple of what's up Lombardis last weekend after we went 4-0. Oh, I mean, we smoked this opposing team. Half the girls were crying on the other team when it was all said and done. Wow, congrats. Recently fired Chargers offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, who got replaced by Kellen Moore. Good. That's something you should be <laughs> bragging about. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, Zay will be on post game with Kevin on Saturday, so you can uh, hopefully enjoy celebrating a, a volleyball win or a few volleyball wins in these playoffs for your daughter a volleyball uh, ship the volleyball shit yes hopefully uh you can enjoy a shit after volleyball i think that's what you're talking about uh plenty more texas football conversation throughout the course of the week of course we will have steve sarkeesian audio during tomorrow's show we'll talk more about this byu game what texas needs to clean up and of course start to turn the page for the biggest home game of the season k-state this 
Saturday, but plenty of other sports to get into, Trey. About the World Series. What a wild game one. It feels like that was two weeks ago. My God. Uh, game one was Friday night, so we have not had the chance to talk to the people or really talk to each other since the late game heroics from Corey Seager and Adolis Garcia lifted the jurors to a walk-off victory in the opening game of the World Series. The Rangers, you all know this by this point, they were down 5-3 to three going into the ninth with a man on. Corey Seager came up and hit a moonshot into the second deck in right center field to tie the game at five. And then in the 11th inning, Adolis Garcia, who just continues to destroy everything, hits the walk-off home run, and the Rangers get the win in game one. That was freaking glorious. Every Rangers fan was on cloud nine. And then we all kind of brought uh, got brought back down to earth in game two on Saturday. D-bags nine. Rangers won. This game was closer than the scoreboard indicates. It was two to one after six innings, but the D-backs got to the Rangers bullpen and pulled away and the Rangers offense couldn't do anything. So we've got ourselves a one, one series. If you're a D-backs fan, F you, but now nah, I'm just kidding. That's mean. Now nah, I'm not kidding. F you. Uh, the good news for you is that, Hey, you got the split. If you're a Rangers fan, the good news is your team is seven and zero on the road in these playoffs and these next three games are on the road in these playoffs. So, uh, 1-1 series headed back to the desert. Trey, how you feeling about things as a Rangers guy? The D-backs have been the better team in this series in both games. I love the the late-game heroics by Seager and Garcia. Seager's reaction, just turning to the dugout right when he hit that ball. That was awesome, man. That's a memory that's going to live with me forever, even more so than the Garcia home run, which was hit the other way. And, like, you know that Garcia didn't hit, think it was a home run because he actually started running out of the box after he hit the ball, which uh, that guy will pimp a ball that's going to go high off of a, a scoreboard in left field, as we saw in the Astros series. But for that ball to get out, too, was really cool. And did I read correctly that he broke David Freeze's 2011 record for most postseason RBI with that home run, too? We don't say that name on this show. My apologies. But if the Rangers do win another road game tonight, they will top the 1996 Yankees for most postseason road wins to begin the playoffs, I guess, which is as close to the end of the playoffs now. So if they can get, if they can set that record plus one, so if they can win the next two nights, I'm going to feel really good about Texas' chances of winning this World Series. But I have no clue what to think right now. Like, I don't have a good prediction one way or the other. Uh, the guy that Arizona is throwing, the rookie, he has been really good in these playoffs, whereas Max Scherzer is still trying to kind of find his way. Now, Scherzer is a veteran. He's pitched in these situations before, and we did see improvements from the first game to the second with Max Scherzer in that Astros series. So I'm just excited for things to get going tonight shortly after 7 o'clock. P-F-A-A-D-T. Yeah, I'm not going to try and pronounce that name for 100 bucks. Fat. Sounds like a queef. <laughs> uh, kind of does, honestly. So it's Mad Max against the queef. That's the pitching matchup tonight. The big Joe queef. Davis is going to call him that. The big queef back. Mm. Yeah, in the regular season, queef man. Well, that's a superhero that I don't think anyone wants to watch. Uh, he was awful. He had an ERA close to six. But in these playoffs, like you said, he's been nails, 2.7 ERA. He started the closeout game in Philadelphia. Now, he wasn't very good. It was the D-backs bullpen that was spectacular and kept the Phillies offense in check. But still, he didn't let the game get out of hand. He obviously gave his team a chance to win it, and they did win it. So he's been solid in these playoffs. And like you said, yeah, Mad Max, as good as he is, and we know he's going to the Hall of Fame as soon as his career is over. Uh, he just has struggled in this postseason. So... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this pitching matchup. We might see some hits. We might see some runs. And the hope for the Rangers is uh, somebody besides Seager and Garcia gets going a little bit offensively. Marcus Simeon continues to struggle. Uh, you know, some guys have had their moments in these playoffs, but not enough. Like you said, this uh, this offense scored three runs, 25 outs into game one, and they scored one run in the entirety of game two. So the bats have been great away from home in this postseason. They need to be great again over these next three days. Otherwise, uh, we'll be talking about another heartbreaking World Series loss for the Rangers. I think tonight's a good night for Marcus Simeon to have a breakout game. Like no, he's I'm, done, I'm done predicting it, so I, good, good luck. Yeah, well, he started to hit the ball hard. 
Um, maybe a little bit less so in the second half of uh, of game two, but he's starting to get there. It's just the ball is is going to the opponents in the outfield at times. Like there have been a couple of hits off his bat where it's like if this is just 10, 10 feet one way or the other, then he has an extra base hit right here. I mean, this guy was too good during the regular season for this to remain the case for the entirety of the playoffs. I think tonight is the night he gets it going. We've seen Evan Carter's bat really show up so far in the World Series. And I think uh, some of these other guys uh, really get to the D-backs. And Texas Texas does win tonight. There we go. I've talked myself into the Rangers winning, so inevitably they're probably going to lose. I think I'm the only person on Texas Sports Unfiltered who picked the D-backs to win this series before it started. I might be wrong. I didn't give everybody's or I didn't get everybody's official picks, but uh, I'm still going with the Snakes, man. Still going with the Snakes. Hope I'm wrong. Hope the Rangers can bounce back. It'd be nice for them to win the next three on the road because then we don't have to worry about what this team looks like at home anymore. And, God, if they do that, my ass will be in that pool on Wednesday night. Oh, really? There's nothing more that I want to do in my entire life than be able to jump in that pool in right center field at Chase Field celebrating a Rangers World Series. That only happens if the Rangers win tonight and tomorrow to get to that game five which could be a closeout game, and obviously they would have to win. I'm not jumping in the pool if they lose. I might want to drown, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, but that's that's what I want. My goal for the week, my goal for the year, my goal for my life is to be able to jump in that pool on Wednesday night. Yeah, please don't drown, Matthew Perry. Yeah, that'd be a lot no. of fun. Are you going to backflip into the pool if they win it? You're insane if you think I can backflip anywhere. There could be a high dive and I'm not sure I could contort my body around to be able to do one flip. Oh, I'm a pretty good back back flipper into water. It's one of those uh, rednecky qualities about me. Off the diving board, or can you just do it on the side of the pool? I would do it off the side of the pool, and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be clean feet first, but it would still be a back flip into the pool. Mm. I also think that pool is like three feet deep. So good luck trying that. That's that doesn't concern me as much. Not jumping straight off the side. If we were jumping off of a five foot diving board, that would be a problem. But straight off the side is not an issue. Hmm. I guess if you do the backflip, then your feet hit the ground, not your head. So you probably wouldn't die if you're able to succeed on actually flipping before you get in the water. But I ain't trying it. Hopefully not. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. No death. No, that's not that's not my goal. My so, goal. So let me get this straight here. If Texas wins tonight and tomorrow night, you are booking a flight. Wednesday morning? Uh, yeah, yes. Am I still allowed to go with you? Yeah, yes. Oh, geez. That wasn't a ringing endorsement. I don't think, I don't think, uh, I just don't think it's going to happen because I don't have faith in the Rangers right now. So okay. I'm, I'm even mad at myself for talking like this because now I think the Rangers are going to lose. See, I don't, I don't think I would try and go to the clinching game in Arlington. Like you will be there. You're going to pay whatever the exorbitant price is. I, I can't afford to pay thousands of dollars for a shitty outfield seat for the World Series. I'll just need to watch from the comfort of my own home. Yeah, but the tickets in Arizona. If Texas goes up three to one. They're going to get real cheap on Wednesday. I hope you're right. I mean, I would love real that. cheap for a World Series. Yeah, I would love that. I just want to win. I don't, I don't care where it is. Just, just please don't lose, Rangers. Don't do what you always do and blow it for once. All right. We're trying here. We're trying. Shout out to Cobra Bee Cave. Gave them some love earlier. Shout out to Altstat Beer, the best beer that you could find all throughout the state of Texas. Uh, you might need some to watch the World Series this week. Also, we got football, we got basketball, we got hockey, which means you need a great beer to accompany all of your sports watching throughout the month of October and into November and really for all 12 months of the year. Make that Altstad beer. And if you're not drinking beer, make sure you're drinking some Olipop as well. Great tasting soda that's actually good for you. I literally drink three things in this life. I drink Altstad, I drink Olipop, and I drink water. And the last one is only because I have to. Uh, if I could live off Altstad and Olipop, I think I would. Love both of them. Go get you some. They are the very best. And speaking of the very best, Trey, how about uh, a live spot for our friends at Pest wranglers that's right pest wranglers pest wranglers pest wranglers they are the sponsor of where are we at in society and a supporter of texas sports unfiltered we love our guy steve aka cooter 
been a longtime fan of Cooter because he used to listen to us way back in the day, and now he is a part of the Texas Sports Unfiltered family. And Pest Wranglers has been at it since 2006. It's been Steve's company since then. And in that time, he has established Pest Wranglers as one of the best companies for customer service in all of Central Texas. That's not just me saying that. It's countless people with five-star ratings and reviews on Google, Yelp, and more. Since 2006, they have established a motto of effective, reliable, affordable. They don't require contracts. I have them out once. If you're not happy with the work, you're not happy with that customer service, you don't have to bring them back. But Steve and Pest Wranglers, they're confident that you will love to have them back over and over and over again. Go to pestwranglers.com to see all the different pests they can take care of in your home or place of business, and then give them a call. And as I said, Pest Wranglers, proud sponsor of. Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your daily. Yes, sir. I'd like to uh, let the record show that I have also been a longtime fan of Cooter. Thank you very much. Especially with that mustache. I <laughs> uh, just wanted that out there. Please continue. All right. It is where we at time. I'm not going to go through the spiel today. What I am going to do, BK, is tell you that today's where we at story takes us international over to Italy. That's right. Italy. <laughs> where a mother has just won a court case to evict her own 40-year-old sons, whom she called parasites, in trial proceedings. A mother? A mother. A mother of children. Of a children? Of children. A mother of these two losers. <laughs> Age two 40, of them? 42. Oh, my. Not twins. Just two separate 40-year-old brothers were living in their mom's house in their 40s. Completely milking it. And this 75-year-old woman in northern Italy actually had to take them to court, sue them, to have them removed from her house. And congratulations to this woman who, as I said, did call the 40- and 42-year-old sons parasites. <laughs> she got him evicted. The two sons had been living in the family apartment without contributing financially or helping around the house, according to the complaint filed by the woman. The judge sided with the retired mother, who is separated from the men's father, and whose pension went entirely on food and maintenance of the home, ruling that these two bambachonis, or big babies, have until December 18th to vacate the premises. There's a bambachoni. Bambachoni is big baby in Italian. Actually? Bambachini, excuse me. Bambachoni. Bambachoni. That sounds like a Taco Bell item or something. Well, maybe an Olive Garden item. Mm -hmm. The judge said, quote, there is no provision in the legislation which attributes to the adult child the unconditional right to remain in the home exclusively owned by the parents against their will and by virtue of the family bond alone. The men who hired lawyers to fight the maternal eviction argued that Italian parents are required by law to take care of their children as long as necessary. But the judge <laughs> cited the existing law in her ruling and agreed that, quote, the state and the property could initially be considered well-founded because the law is based on the maintenance obligation incumbent on the parent. But then she ruled it no longer appears justifiable considering these two losers are over 40. And once a certain age has been exceeded, the child can no longer expect the parents to con con continue the maintenance obligation beyond limits that are no longer reasonable. This is stepbrothers in real life, it sounds like. Yes, it is. Hmm. Do we know how old the mom was? 75. Okay. This frail 75-year-old woman having to do with these two giant losers, these two big babies. Good for her. Good like, for her indeed. I, I have no sympathy here. She should have done this. Making their mother's done, life miserable. Yeah, she should have done this years ago, right? I mean, I guess it sounds like she tried. If this thing had to go to court, then, you know, clearly she tried a couple of times without doing that. And then it just got to the point where she needed some legal help to kick them out. But my gosh, this is uh, it's brutal for her. Glad she was finally able to get this done. But goodness gracious. Well, and apparently this is something that's become so common in Italy that a new word has been created to describe adult men who are too dependent on their mothers. Mamonis. They're mamonis. 
maybe that's like mama's boys or something in Italian. I'm not sure what it what it means exactly, but Mamoni describes these adult losers who are still living at home, milking their parents' generosity. Are you making that up, or is that a real thing? No, it's that's the case. I can I can pull the article up on the uh, screen share if we want to, but I don't think it would be that exciting for you or the people. No, I believe you, Mamoni. Mamoni, yeah, dude, I I love my parents. Of course, I do. They're the greatest. Lucky to have them. The thought of ever living at home terrifies me. Like I never had any interest in doing that. I mean, I went went off to college, and that was that. Tell you me, know? felt the same way because. So did you did you come back after your freshman year and live at home for the summer? I think uh, yeah, two. Uh, Maybe three of the summers, three three of the four summers in, in college. No, two of the four summers in college, I did go home. But I worked. Like, I was I was gone. I stayed at home. I slept at home. But I was working or interning or doing both to where, like, I just, I didn't want to be home that much. And then, well, like, yeah. I mean, even that first summer, you realize once you have that newfound freedom that you want to do whatever you can to avoid that scenario ever having to be a regular part of your life again. Yeah. Like you appreciate your parents bringing you back in for the summer and allowing you to work and save up if you want to, or just waste it all on booze and hookers, which is probably what your summers consisted of. But uh, you also know that uh, that the uh, dynamic it no longer works once you enter early adulthood. Like there's, there's there's just too much going on for parents and young adult child to continue coexisting under the same roof. I'm pretty sure this is one of my parents saying me too. Yeah, they felt the same way. I know my dad for sure felt the same way. Yeah. Like my, my mom would probably, if I went home today, if I went to Galveston and told my parents like, hey, Texas Sports Unfiltered ain't working. Uh, I need a place to stay to get my life back on track. My mom would be like, yeah, of course, as long as you need. My dad would be like, go F yourself, son. <laughs> I don't know if that's Papa K or Shoshana Kellner. Whichever one it is, uh, I don't blame you. I couldn't live with this guy either uh, <laughs> at any point, but especially once he turned 18. No, I mean, it's the case for any parent-child yeah. relationship. And parents will suck it up and deal with it to help their kids. But the kids should have enough personal pride and wherewithal to understand that uh, nobody wants that. No, nobody wants that, man. Nobody wants that. And to do it until your 40s, like once again, we're talking about at 18, like no thanks, but to voluntarily... Do that for that long. I mean, look, not paying rent is cool. I don't enjoy paying rent, and I've got to do that in a couple of days, and that sucks. But still, that's that's a sacrifice you should be willing to make. Paying rent, paying bills, working, like that type of stuff to actually be a non-vegetable and be a normal human adult. That, that's what you got to do, man. That's simple. Just, just wait until all those bastard children start showing up at your doorstep, and you're not only having to pay for that Olipop for yourself, but for them too, BK. Yeah, I'm out on that. <laughs> I, I'm like I'm like Antonio Brown when it comes to that. I, You're just I gonna paying. move and go back into hiding? Yeah, no child support either. I ain't paying any of that. Sorry about that, kids. Not mine. Get me on the Maury show. Oh wait, the Maury show has been canceled, so I guess we'll never know if those are really my kids, which means they're not. Sorry. No, Maury already ruled. This happened on the old radio show when I talked to Maury Povich. He ruled that the kid was your child, remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. He said specifically, Brad Kel Kellner, <laughs> it is your child. God, can I pull that up real quick? Let's you see. you are the father. He dropped the you are the father. Are the father, exactly. Yeah, that's. I really hope you don't have that because that, that is evidence that maybe could work in the court of law and that would go against me. Oh, DMV. wait a second. Here we go. I don't know. All right, here we go. Let's see. I hope you can hear this. Hi, everybody. This is Mari Povich. You're listening to Midday with Trey and BK and Brad Kellner. You are the father. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, Maury ruled. <laughs> oh, my it's, God. It's right now, and you want a new dad? Well, Maury is, has already let you know that Brad Kellner is the real pops. Oh. Uh, Jeff, I forgot we had that, dude. That's incredible. Uh, man. BK, you just, you, are you just like losing the like, uh, you know, childcare uh, notices that come in the mail? 
Yeah, I don't know what happened, man. Maybe that's why I move every year. It's like I just uh, I don't want them knowing my address, so I just keep switching locations. Just a stack of a uh, past due stamped envelopes somewhere from the uh, child child support office. Yeah, they're they're somewhere. I don't have them. They're not mine. There's another Brad Kellner out there. It can't be me. Oh wait a second, we've got more of Maury Povich here. Hi everybody, this is Maury Povich. You're listening to Midday with Trey and BK and. Brad Kellner, you are not the father. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. First lap ever run on Texas Sports Unfiltered. First lap ever run by BK in his life. (laughs) Wow, that's the one you want to hear. Thank you. Yeah, keep that one. Delete the other one, please. Keep that one. They're both in the annals, just in case. In the what now? Annals. <laughs> I don't. I, th- I didn't think you could have kids from annals. <laughs> uh, this, this is already off the rails, and I I just got here. Yeah, welcome in, Jeff Parker from CBS Austin with Trey and Jeff from one to three. Oh, oh my! I, by the way, DJ is asking if Brock is your child. I, I I don't know if he was asking if Broccoli is your child or Brock. Uh, Brock, our producer, is your child, BK. Yeah, well, Brock Cunningham is probably my dad's age. I think if you're asking about <laughs> that guy, and no, I don't think uh, young Brock, our intern, is is my kid too. I would have well, had to have, have been. a similar looking mustache though, similarly pedo looking. Thank you. Uh, I'll tell him he said that. I would have been. I think he's like 19 or 20, so I would have been like 10 years old if. If that was my kid, which you tell me a 10 year old Brad Kellner wasn't making plays. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> I, I am telling you that I had a good run in kindergarten <laughs> up in the tree house and then like kindergarten to bar mitzvah here. Not great. Hit a cold spell. All right. I'm done. This is about to be great though. For the next two hours, it's Trey and Jeff Barker, Chip and Zay, of course, from three to five fellas. I'll be listening. Y'all have a great show. You can't see him us.